Honestly, we've, we've so, myself and our whole team, we've so appreciated hanging out with you guys uh, throughout this time. And uh, it's too bad. I mean, it's, I can't believe it's already over, right? We got one session and we're gone and things. And uh, uh, it's really been a blessing. And um, I know um, people think that I just say these kinds of things. But if you ever come to Hong Kong, please uh, shoot us an email. What's up? I know, man. You're going to come over. And, uh, um, and uh, yeah, if you need to get around or something, or even if you need a bed or something like that, um, you know, we got a lot of beds in our city. Um, and so, uh, you know, well, in our church uh, and things. And so, you know, more than welcome, you know, my island friend, bro, you're welcome to my house uh, anytime. And so, uh, um, but honestly, right, at least we can do is take you out to dim sum or something. And, uh, um you know, one of, the, one of the best, actually one of the most famous dim sum places in the world is like a three-minute walk from our church. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually the one of the only uh, Michelin star. They have one Michelin star, but it's the cheapest Michelin star restaurant in the world. And they have this pork bun, uh, which is unbelievable. Even guys that don't like pork... They come and, and have a taste, and they're, like, blown away. Uh, you guys know Pastor Benjamin, right? Pastor Benjamin came and said, oh, I'm not hungry, you know, I, I'm stuffed, da 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 And we brought him a, a, a couple, a one, one set, which is three pieces. And that dude ate it like I'd never seen anyone eat before in my life. And now every time he comes over, I tell one of our staff guys to go buy nine of them, three sets, and he, he dusts them off, man, in between service. It's crazy. So, yeah, you're, you're more than, than welcome to do that. And uh, thank you, Pastor Susie. I really uh, enjoyed your sensitivity from the Spirit. And, and I, I, will, I will say this to kind of add on to what she said. Um, it is imperative that you guys walk this journey out together. If you remember what I said, um, I don't know. I said, it, I said a lot of stuff, but some over the weekend. I can't remember exactly when. <laughs> But, uh, you know, man adds, God multiplies, and the devil divides. And so that's what he always wants. He always wants to divide. He, all, he wants to set you apart, uh, set you alone, because then if he has you one-on-one, I mean, he can pounce on you. And so um, one of our guys said this uh, uh, in one of our prayer meetings a long time ago. If you go alone, you will go faster. But if you go together, you'll go farther. If you go alone, you will go faster. But if you go together, you'll go farther. And I believe that God wants to take you guys very, very far. You know, speed is totally overrated. The only the speed is, is only uh, good playing sports. Most other stuff, totally overrated. And because if you actually look through the scriptures, particularly in the life of Jesus, you recognize that Jesus moves three miles an hour. He's the slowest cat, man. He just, he's just slow. What I mean by that, he just walks with people. Three miles an hour, that's all. And so, uh, you know, forget about speed and efficiency and those things. What we want to do is we want to go farther. And it'd be imperative that you guys do that together. Amen? <clears throat> it's interesting. I do have a sermon called Crossing Over, believe it or not, but that's not today. Um, so 
Um, but, okay, I want to just do something. Close your eyes. Let me just read Psalm 122.1. You guys may be familiar. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so I want you to just think, remember, we're talking about vision last night. I want you to envision something right now. And I want you to just close your eyes and just picture and dream of the church of your dreams. What is it going to look like? What's it going to have? Just, just picture right now the church of your dreams, the community, the worship, the people, the space, the programs. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Are you guys envisioning it right now? Okay, good. I want you to just take a minute, write it down. Pull out your phones, write down what you saw. Maybe you got a picture of a space. Maybe you saw programs. Maybe you saw like a map of nations. And so it's going to be a very missional. Just, just what, whatever, right? Just envision it. Maybe it's going to have a, a powerful men's ministry or powerful women's ministry. Or there was going to be a, like a sports club. Not a gym, but like a, like a running club or, you know, like guys are gathering together playing sports and just enjoying fellowship. Just, just write it down. You have to envision it. Now, when we talked about vision last night, right? Remember, first one, envision. You got to set yourself in the vision. This, this, is, this is my charge. This actually has nothing to do with the message right now. But this is my charge to you right now as a community. Make it happen. You make it happen. Right? God is the author of this vision. You are the executor of that vision. So make it happen. If, if, you, if you envision like this dynamic women's ministry, I mean, okay, you got to be a woman first of all. <laughs> you know, so if you're a woman and you got that vision, make it happen. If you're a guy and you got this vision of a man, guys gathering together, make it happen. Maybe you saw a picture of this, this incredible worship team. Uh, maybe if you're on the worship, make it happen. If you're not, pray that that would happen. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? You have to, you, whatever, whatever vision, that's, that's God speaking to you. Now it's up to us to take the vision and run with it. Uh, when, I, when I was uh, uh, younger, we used to say this all the time. We put feet to the vision. In other words, we make it happen. It's not something that's just lofty out there, but we go about joining God in his purposes and seeing that go through. And then when you do that, man, I tell you, you're going to have the most amazing church. Honestly, the most amazing church. We, we did an exercise similar to this uh, when we started our church. And we sat together. We started with six people. And we sat, sat and we used to just meet all the time. 
And, and I just sat with these guys and just had them envision what was, and we, we made a list. We made a huge list of, of all these things, what, what we envision about our church, the church of our dreams, just one after another. And, you know, it's funny, about, about eight, seven years ago, I was in my file cabinet. I was cleaning out all my files in my office, and I found the document that we had made uh, uh, years ago, uh, uh, early on. And I, and I looked at that document, and every single thing that we dreamed about was happening in that place. It was unbelievable. Back then, it was just like, it was more than a dream. Like one of the things that we're saying, we're going to plant churches uh, in major megalopolises all over Asia. And then, you know, a few years later on, we're like, oh, my goodness, we're doing this thing. You know, sometimes you forget this kind of stuff. But when God sends something on our hearts, he puts it into motion. All we do is we don't fabricate or make, we just join him in what he's doing. It's really a simple thing. God's always at work around us. Okay, amen? All right. <clears throat> now let's go to the message today. It's, it's re- I mean, it's really interesting. I love, I love how God orchestrates and puts things together. You know, for me, I, I'm, I'm just a servant. And so I, I just, you know, he's, he's my master. I just do what he says. It's just a really simple formula. It takes all the pressure off of me. I don't have to, like, think of anything. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to produce anything. I just have to listen and obey. It's really simple. And so God gave me a message today. And that's why yesterday I was kind of freaking out a little bit. Um, you know, when some of you guys were, were talking about the vision of your church, and then some of you guys said, in the valley of dry bones, and I don't know if you saw, I was, I was kind of, I, I mean, I kept cool, calm, cool, and collected, but inside, I was like, what? You know, I was like, oh, this is crazy, because that's actually my message. I had no idea that was part of your, your, your vision statement, but I want to talk about the valley of dry bones today, and so uh, we're going to get to Ezekiel in a moment, but turn to Philippians chapter 1, 21. Philippians 1.21, the title of my message today is called From Death to Destiny. From Death to Destiny. Philippians 1.21. You guys should have memorized this verse at some point in your Christian journey. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is is Christ. To die is gain. And then if you go down a couple chapters to Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That I may know him. This was his concluding thought. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I want to clue you in on an incredible mystery. In, well, it's actually not so mysterious. It's actually quite blatant all over the scriptures. Did you know that God is trying to kill you? Ain't no joke, man. Like when you sign up for this Christianity thing, God has been trying to kill you. Did you also know the enemy has also been trying to kill you? So check out how this works. God is trying to kill you. The devil is trying to kill you. And so it's crazy. I mean, honestly, you, just, you should just die. 
So this is what I tell my church all the time. Would you just die already? You're just, you're living too much. You know, the Bible, Paul says something really interesting. And he calls us, and he calls us as Christians, he calls us living sacrifices. Did you know that's an oxymoron? That actually doesn't make, it make sense because a sacrifice by nature is dead. But he calls us a living sacrifice. That's the tension that we're living here on this earth. Because we're supposed to be dead, but we're living. We're a living sacrifice. Alive, but dead. That's the tension of the spiritual life. That's flesh and spirit and you know, all these other things that you can think of. But that's how it works. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, a great uh, Bible teacher, used to be the president of Dallas Seminary. He said something really insightful. He says the problem with living sacrifices is we take ourselves off the altar all the time. You know what I mean? It's like we're supposed to be a sacrifice. All right, Lord, I'm dead. And God says, go to Africa. Uh, okay. I'm going to pass over here. God says, oh, join the worship team. Uh, okay, let me get off the altar right here. You know, any time of any difficult thing, blessed thing that God wants to give to us, but it's difficult for our flesh, we take ourselves off the altar. And thus, the, the spiritual conundrum that we find ourselves in, the dilemma where we're living sacrifices. See, God is trying to kill you. The devil is trying to kill you. But see, the beautiful thing, only God has resurrection power. Only God can take what is died and resurrect it and make it something beautiful. That's the key. That's why, uh, I, I, honestly, I tell, just, I tell people, oh, you ask my guys, I said, well, you just die already, man. Just die. Why, why are you still living? You know, why are you still, just, just, just give up. Just surrender, just die. Life will be so much easier that way. But we, many times, we, we go kicking and screaming, uh, to that place of death. Uh, it's from death to destiny. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. It's our main text today. Ezekiel 37. We're going to read from verse 1, go all the way down to verse 10. It says, the hand of the Lord. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'll wait for you. I hate it when preachers just like, don't let me like find my text, man, you know. See, I was a church member just like you at one point. So I know how annoying that was. So I hate it when I do that to people. So Ezekiel chapter 37. You guys ready? All right, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out of the, by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. And I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, the breath of these slain, that they come to life. 
And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God. Lord, we bless you. Lord, we're just so, God, um, just taken over, God, and just amazed, God, at the way that you speak to us, the way that you love us, God. And, Lord, Lord, we just uh, are so grateful today, God, on your Sabbath. And, Father, uh, we ask right now that you would release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us individually and corporately as a body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach your prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just convey your words, God, but convey your heart. Lord, we thank you, God. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. 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 From death to destiny is the, vi- uh, the vision of the dry bones that's happening there. And notice, first of all, notice that these dry bones are on the surface. Because that really doesn't make any sense, actually. Because, uh, you know, they, I mean, this obviously is some kind of burial place. And so it goes to say that these bones should actually be buried in the ground. But I want to tell you, and I think, I think this is a kind of a prophetic insight here. I want to tell you that these bones are not buried. New Philly Church is not buried. He's not done with this. It's on the surface of the ground. It's dry, but it's not buried. And so what we need to do, and, and what, what uh, God is really uh, teaching the Son of Man uh, here in this place, uh, Ezekiel, what he's really trying to get to, he's trying to get him to see something. Again, remember we talked about vision earlier, right? It's to see what God is doing beyond what we can see with our own eyes. That, that, that's, that's, that's really, uh, in many ways, the essence of spirituality. It, 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 for us to be able to see what God sees, not what we see ourselves. We walk by faith, not by sight. Sight being what we see with our human eyes. We need to see with spiritual eyes. And, and, and to see what God is doing to go beyond what we see in the flesh. This is why Jesus was, was so incredible. I mean, I mean, just the way that he moved and, and the way he went through life. Isaiah, if, if you, you don't have to talk, I'll just read it for you. In Isaiah chapter 11, they're prophesying about the Messiah. And they're talking about uh, uh, Jesus in this place. And he says here, and he says, He will delight in the law of the Lord, or in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge but what his eyes see, nor make a decision by which his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge by the spirit of righteousness. And so this is why Jesus was so cool. I mean, this is why he was so amazing. Everyone else judged by what they saw and what they heard, but Jesus is radically different. He didn't judge by what he saw. He didn't judge by what he heard. He judged with the spirit of righteousness. And, and it was so different. He didn't see what everyone else saw. He, he saw, he, remember we talked about yesterday, he thought so differently than we do. And so Jesus was able to pierce through and see something beyond what our eyes can see and what our ears can hear. That's why he was so special. And so he can go to what, who, who everyone thought were the most spiritual of men and say, you are the father of the devil. I mean, like, like we read the Bible and, 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 and we, we just think that that's like common, normal stuff that happens. 
You know what I mean? Like, like we read about like Jesus walking on water. Oh, they, they did that in the first century. They never did that in the first century. It was like a miracle. You know, but, but, we, but we, a lot of times we read the Bible in this way like it was a normal occurrence. Can you, I mean, can you imagine if, if, if you were uh, uh, at your church and let's say you went to Torch Seminary and you were sitting in chapel. You, guys, oh, you have chapel, right? You have chapel and torch seminary. You have all these learned professors, and you're, you're the chapel speaker, and you turn to the professors as you are the father of the devil. That's basically what Jesus did. He looked to the most, most senior, the most respected religious leaders of their day, and he says, you are the father of the devil. In fact, you travel the whole world to make one convert, and you make them twice the son of hell that you are. The disciples were like, oh, Lord, you can't say that kind of stuff. And then he just takes it deeper. I mean, it's crazy how this works. And, and so, so he, he does stuff like that. And then he takes these poor prostitutes and he draws them unto his arms. He does not judge with his eyes see or ears hear, but with righteousness he judges. See, what, what we need God to ask us to do is to open up our spiritual eyes. You mind if I do a little teaching real quick? It's really brief, okay, because you need to understand this. In, in, um, in 2 Kings, uh, uh, chapter 6, there's a story of Elisha. And remember, Elisha um, is uh, um, basically helping the king of Israel during this time. And the king of Israel is uh, bombarded by the Arameans. The king of Aram wants to destroy them, and so he's got a plan. And, but Elisha tells the king of Israel that he's going to come and do this. Don't go to this area. The king of Aram is so pissed off at this. Because he's basically saying, one of you guys is a traitor. Like, who is telling him these secrets? And one of his guys said, no, 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 no. There's actually this man of God, this prophet. And, he, and I love this. And he says, and he's telling the king what you talk about in your bedroom. That's, that's like, you know, we have this phrase, like, he's reading your mail, basically. I mean, this guy's a real prophet. And so the king is like, whoa, no way, man. Go get that guy. We're going to kill this guy. And so you know the story. So at night... The Aramean armies surround Elijah in his house. And so they wake up the morning, and Elisha's attendant wakes up, you know, probably goes out to get the morning newspaper, you know, the milk, and, and he's kind of, and he's like, ah! he's shocked. And he sees his army surrounding Elisha. And he goes back into the house and just starts shaking his pants, and said, oh, oh, God, we're in trouble, we're going to die. And Elisha is so cool, man. You know what I mean? He's like cool as a cucumber. He's just chilling there. And he just, he just turns and, and he goes, it's okay, man. It's okay. There's a lot more of them, right? A lot more of us than them. And the servant's saying, one, two, <laughs> thousands of, <laughs> you know? Like, I went to school for arithmetic. I think you, you kind of like don't know how to count, Elisha. Remember what Elisha said? He's still so cool, right? He says, Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden, bam, his eyes get open, and he sees an army of angels and chariots of fire surrounding them. And now the servant is, he's chilling now too. <laughs> he's like, Elijah's like, oh, cool, man. You know? And, I mean, this is crazy. That's opening our spiritual eyes. Remember in... In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes up and he sees this vision. He says, well, I know of a man. I don't know if it's you know, in the body or absent. But he says he, he says he went up to the third heaven. 
And he goes up into this third heaven and he saw things. And then he saw mysteries that he can't even talk about. And then he says, and he comes down. And then the next word he says, and then he says, he caught me up into paradise. Now check this out. In Genesis, we see that God created, was it the heaven and the earth? Heavens. God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us there's actually three levels of heaven. Because in Luke chapter 23, remember when he's, when he's, when he's hanging on the cross with a thief? He turns to the thief and says, today you shall be with me in where? Paradise. Let me break it down. The first heaven is our atmosphere. It's our sky. It's, it's the universe. It's what we see. Space, all that. That's the first heaven. It's natural. Third heaven is what we typically call heaven. Like when we say, like, you know, like my mom passed away 10 years ago and she's in heaven, that's what we think. That's actually the third heaven. That's what we call paradise. That's what Jesus calls it. That's what Paul calls it. And this is our ultimate resting place, paradise, and well, until he comes. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth, and, and we see that happening in the book of Revelation. But there's also this second heaven that's there. And the second heaven is a spiritual realm. This, this is where angels and demons and, and warfare and all these things take place. When Elisha prays for his attendant, he's basically asking him to open his eyes. But, I mean, he could see, but to see into the second heaven. When we, think about this, when we prophesy, when, 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 we, when we speak forth the, the oracles of God, what we're doing is we're seeing something that God is doing in the second heaven and we're calling that down to earth. That's why prophecy is so important in the church. That's why it's one of the offices that's there. And so, so when we talk about opening up our eyes, that's what I'm talking about. To see into this second heaven. This is Daniel chapter 10. Daniel starts, he, he, he hears something from the Lord and he's so struck by this that he actually goes and, and he does this 21 day fast. And then next thing you know, you know the archangel Gabriel is sent to him, and he says, man, I, I was, in fact, the moment you started praying, I was dispatched to you, but I was confronted by the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. And then Michael, the archangel, came and, and basically helped me out, so I was released to come, and this is the word of the Lord. Where was that taking place? In the second heaven. Like, I, I mean, I beg God. Well, I have to be honest. Sometimes when I feel really spiritual, I beg God that I could look into the second heaven. But most of the times, I'm terrified of what I'm about to see. I'll be honest. I, I actually had this moment, and I know I spent a lot of time talking, but, but I, I had this moment where, where I think I was being invited. And I'm going to tell you, this, I'm going to show you how carnal I am, okay? I, I was invited by an internationally well-known prophet, and he basically was inviting me to step into a greater level of revelation. And, uh, and, and, and so I was like, okay, cool. And, but there was a lot of fear in my heart. You know why? I mean, this, uh, you may not even want to listen to me after I say what I'm about to say. And so if you, if you want to walk out, please feel free. I totally understand. And my initial thought was, does that mean I can't go to movies anymore? Like, does that mean like I can't watch movies and stuff? Like, like, like does that mean I, I'm just normal? I can't be normal? 
You know, because I had prophetic friends who, like, can't do anything fun. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being honest, right? Like, they can't do anything fun. Like, what I think is fun because it's, like, they got to be, like, very spiritually, you know. And the whole time, I mean, this prophet was, like, standing over me and, you know, prophesying and all these things. And, it was in, in, and my whole thought was, like, does that mean I can't go to the movies with my wife anymore? You know, like, enjoy fun things? All right, okay, I'm going I'm to close my eyes if you want to walk out. You can, you can walk out. <laughs> Honestly, that's what's going on through my mind. And so most times I'm terrified of this second heaven. But sometimes when I get that spiritual moment, it's like, it happens like twice a year. I get, that, I get that spiritual moment. I'm like, Lord, I want to see. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about sight. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about vision. We, we're seeing these things. You know, think about this. Man looks at dry bones. But God sees an army. Man simply sees dry bones, a valley of nothingness. Maybe some of us are looking at New Philly Church, and it's just barren, man. It's just dust. It's dry. Just a bunch of bones. God sees an army. Turn to your neighbor. Say, hey, good looking. He says, you are an army. Go ahead. <clears throat> man, man is limited in our vision. God is unlimited. Man is limited in our vision. God is unlimited. And it's, this is, honestly, this is the beauty of ministry. This is, the, the, for me personally, this is the beauty of being a pastor. That I get to call out death. I get to call out life out of that place of death in people's life. Um, uh, you, you guys know Pastor Brian, right? You guys know Pastor Brian Kim from Echo? I, I know he's been here and stuff. You know, he was in my youth group. So I was his pastor. He got saved in my youth group. And so I, I was there. He's, a, he's an amazing teacher. He's actually, he's, he's, I would say, honestly, he's like 10 times better preacher than I am, right? And I, I love it. Right? I, 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 honestly, I love listening to him and things. And so when I go to, when I go to Southern California uh, to, go to, um, to go home, I have a homestay. I, I go home for a month uh, every year with my family. The first Sunday, I go back to my home church because, you know, I'm, I'm like obligated to, you know, because these guys are like, you have to be on staff. Hey, hi, everyone. Uh, the other weeks, I go to Brian's church, you know, and so because I'm kind of free, no more obligation, because I, I, I just enjoy. You know, Brian, when we first met him, he was this little gangpe, right? So, like, little, little gangster, and, uh, uh, you know, sm smoking and all that kind of stuff. And, and we started just praying, and God's just, there's something about this guy. He's a leader. You know, he's leading people to do bad things right now, <laughs> but, but he's a leader. And so... And so I just asked God, I said, God, you know, what, what do you want to do? In fact, the first day when I came, uh, you know, every, every church is, uh, like, Korean church has, like, like that one really cool elder. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, you guys grew up in Korean church. It's, like, one really cool elder. And, and this elder actually used to come, and he used to dress up in, like, a suit and tie, but he'd, bring, he'd wear running shoes every Sunday. And so because he was going out to the liquor stores and grabbing all the kids, he was chasing them. You know, this is all true story. He would go out to the, they were playing video games at the liquor store, 
And he would chase them and bring them and drag them to church. So he, he wore a suit and running shoes every Sunday. He was like the cool elder at our church and stuff. And he told me, he took me aside my first Sunday when I was a youth pastor. And he says, and he kind of gave me a lowdown of all the kids. And he says, this one you got to watch out for, right? This, this, this kid is like a troublemaker. You got to watch out for this kid. But he said, but he's a leader, you know? And so I just took it to heart. And so we started praying. And then uh, he had this smoking problem. This is so to the Lord. So the Lord, I tap in into the second heaven. You know, this is prophecy, word of knowledge. And I have this, I have this vision as I'm praying uh, before service, and I see Brian smoking, and then I see him throwing up. And I thought, oh, I know what God's doing. And so I told him, I came into his office, I brought him into my office, and says, hey, you got a smoking problem, right? He's like, you know, like little, you know, little gangpe. And so... I was like, you little punk, you know? And then I was, and then uh, go on and says, hey, I said, the next time you smoke a cigarette, now I'm basically prophesying. I'm speaking forth what I saw in the second heaven, bringing heaven down to earth. I said, the next time that you smoke, you're going to throw up. He's like, <laughs> you know, because they got all look cool and stuff. And so he basically goes, I mean, his own story, he goes, Pastor Sam is full of poo-poo, but not the nice word, right? And he goes to the park with his friends, like right down the street from the church, and he lights up. And as soon as he takes one puff, blah, he throws up. And he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> and so then he's like, you know, kind of like mildly, not mildly, extremely afraid of me from that Sunday. A few weeks goes by, and he's like, oh, that was a coincidence. So he's in school. He's at his high school. He goes into the bathroom of his high school, you know, sits in the toilet and lights up a cigarette, Blah! throws up. He comes to Friday night service, and he's like white as a ghost. You know, he's like sweating. And he said, Pastor Sam. You know, actually, back then I was a chando sanim, so he's called me chando. Chando. <gasps> You know, they can't even put the sanim, you know, next to it. So disrespectful, right? They're like, Chondo. I don't know what's going on, you know, stuff. And, we start, and he, his life comes into order. You know what I mean? Man sees dry bones. God sees an army. That's true for every single one of us. Think about your life before Jesus. How do you, oh, I was a loser, man. Seriously, I was a loser. Like, like I, I would love to, I, like, I love, you know, when I first came to church, like, you know, people would come up and give testimonies. And all, guys would always come up and they'd be like, yeah, man, like, I used to do drugs and I used to toke out all the time. And I used to sleep with girls and stuff, but Jesus saved my life, you know, and like, you know, praise to God and stuff like that. And I would sit there, I, I, as a, as a non-Christian, I would sit there and say, you didn't give up anything. You gave up getting drunk, getting high. What did you give up? You know what, you know what I mean? Like, that's mostly testimony. Like, I want some guy to come up and say, well, I have a PhD from Harvard University, you know, and I had a, a high-paying job that paid me $3 million a year, but I met Jesus and I gave all that up to follow Jesus. I'd be like, that's a testimony. <laughs> you, you guys understand what I'm saying, right? It's like... 
yeah, I used to get drunk every night and pass out and throw up. But now I've met Jesus and, you know, you, you gave up a horrible life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like you, you, that was nothing. But, but that's like, we, we exalt those kind of testimonies. Honestly, I want guys to say, man, you know, like, like I got a PhD, but now, but no, I'm, get, I'm just going to go and, and, and serve the Lord in some mud hut in Gambia somewhere. I was like, wow, that dude gave up a lot. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? You know, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm not talking about success, and, and don't, don't get me wrong. But, but that, that's, I was a loser, and Jesus found me. There, there's a song that I sing just about every New Year to myself. Uh, you know, uh, no one, no one want to hear me sing. And so I just sing to myself. And, and it's an it's a old song. It's basically an old vineyard song. It's a, the words say basically thank you, and it says, Once I was lost and alone in the darkness. And you found me. And, and I, I, every New Year, because we, we have a New Year's Eve service at our church that we start the year off with. And I just, in my own worship time, in my own prayer time, I would just sing that over and over because I'm, I need to be reminded over and over again that once I was lost and alone in the darkness, and Jesus, you found me. I was broken. I was lost. I was confused. And Jesus, you found me. I didn't find you. You found me. And, and it, it, it just brings me back to why I serve the Lord. Not because I'm this successful pastor and, you know, all these things. It's, it's because once I was lost and alone in the darkness. And, Lord, you found me. And all I want to do is help other people that are lost and alone in the darkness. And I want Jesus to find them as well. See, man looks at the outward appearance. God sees the heart. Man sees dry bones. God sees an army. Right now, your life may be filled with dry bones. A job that's unfulfilling. A spouse that's not what you imagine. Life that's pressing in on you. Dreams that are unfulfilled. Words received from God that have not yet come to pass promises of life that are yet unfulfilled those are the dry bones of our life but hear the word of the lord he says be encouraged because it's not buried it's not buried it's just on the surface it will not only live it will flourish and be a force. Man sees dry bones, but God sees an army. And so what are we to do? He tells the man of God, he said, prophesy to the bones. In other words, pray. Pray over these things. Call out the things that are not as if they are. Did you hear that? Call out the things that are not as if that they are. It's amazing. My, I have a, a really good friend of mine is a pastor in California. And, and uh, um, years ago, um, Che, uh, his name is Che An. Che told me this story. And, you know, the Bible tells us in Mark, he says, when you pray, believe you have received it and it will be given to you. Notice this past tense. Like you got to act and live like I already got it before it's given to you. That's faith. 
That's, that's what I did when when I when I when I was uh, uh, when I was single, and I told you I, I really like my my wife now, but she had, she didn't like me at all. I still I used to wear this I used to wear this promise ring, and it was it was my Jesus ring. I used to wear it on my right hand, and I, I wore this because you know for me I was like I'm bachelor to the rapture, you know, and and so so I, I'm like. Like, I'm, I'm married to, honestly, this is, this is serious for me. I'm married to Jesus. I was one of those kind of guys. Growing up, I was so insecure that I always had to have a girlfriend. And I, I would say from, like, from uh, fifth grade, this is crazy, right? From fifth grade all the way out to when I was in college, I don't remember having more than, like, ten days without a girlfriend. You know, I always had, I mean, one girl, I would, I would have another girlfriend the same day. I work fast, you know, and things, and so, and I mean, but, but it was, it was out of my, and so, so when I got saved, God just began to press on me that that's a major issue in my life, and so the first thing I did is I bought, I bought this promise ring, I used to wear it on my right hand, I'm in Colombia, Bogota, Colombia, and uh, we're ministering there, and this prophetic lady walks up to me, and oh, it was crazy, and she takes my ring off my finger, and she says, prophetically, she puts it on my other finger, like on my ring hand, you know, married. And she basically said, you know, prophesy, you're married. Like, act like it. You know what I mean? And things. And so from that day on, man, like when I prayed, I, when I prayed for Lisa, I prayed as if she was my wife. No, okay, now listen. <laughs> I, I, okay, I need to be really clear for the moment here. I need to be really clear. I never told her that God spoke to me. That's manipulation, okay? I never once told her that she, that she was my wife. You want me to tell you a crazy story? So I'm at my church. This young lady comes to me, and she basically says, you know, can we have coffee? I said, sure, let's have coffee. And she comes, and she declares to me and says, Pastor Sam, I want you to know that God spoke to me, and God told me that you're supposed to be my husband. I was like, God didn't speak to me, you know. <laughs> and so I just said, you know, I mean, I was trying to be really nice. I said, thank you, but it's not going to. So, and at that, two months later, she comes back to me and says, oh, can we have some coffee again? So I'm like, okay. Now I make sure that, like, it's a really public place, right? It's like the, big, the busiest coffee place in the world. Because I, I make sure there's witnesses and stuff. And so I go, and I honestly, I thought that she was going to come and apologize to me and say, oh, thank you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I had bad pizza. I, you know, like, I heard wrong from the Lord, you know, something like that. And now she comes, and this is what she says. She said, no, 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 no. It's, it's been, it's been uh, uh, confirmed that, that you're going to be my husband, and then if you're not, and if you don't obey, then the Lord is going to remove your ministry from you. Right? I know. Seriously, man. I was like, I was in, I was in, uh, um, uh, is this, uh, uh, Starbucks, no, it wasn't Starbucks, what was, it? It was that tea leaf, uh, coffee bean, I was at coffee bean, and this, I, man, I slammed the, the table, I said, that's manipulation, you know, and I walked away, and I went and told my senior pastor, I said, you need to discipline this young lady, but she crazy, she cray cray, <laughs> that's what I said, she crazy, man, and stuff, and, but, but, so, so you can't do that kind of stuff. You can't, you can't, listen, we tell, I know a lot of young people, don't ever use God to either get into a relationship or get out of a relationship. Like people say this, oh, 
It's like so spiritual. Oh, God has me in a new season. So we need to break up. Guys are just not manly enough just to say, I don't like you anymore. You know what I mean? Because think about it. You know what you're really telling this person? You're telling this person, not only have I rejected you, but God has also rejected you. That's messed up, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, so, don't, so when, I, when I'm giving that illustration, I'm just saying I, I had a word from the Lord. Actually, I was sitting on this for like a year and a half. This lady does this prophetic act. And then from that point, I just acted like she was my wife. You know, like in my prayers, I just said, Mrs. Song, Lord, bless Mrs. Song. And, you know, these kinds of things. Now, okay, that's a little weird. That's a little weird, I know. And you could use that for really crazy stuff, right? But it was a prophetic word because she's my wife now. That's a big difference, okay? In any case, I know that. I'm going off a tangent. So let me go back. My friend Che, he had TMJ. Really bad TMJ. And he, got a, he had a word. He woke up in the morning. The Lord spoke to him and says, you're healed. And so he's excited, right? It was, it was a dream. He was, he was healed. He wakes up in the morning, and he kind of sits there, and, and, uh, uh, and he's, he's excited because he wakes up. He thinks that he's, he's healed, and his jaw's killing him like crazy. And he's like, no, I'm healed. And so he just, he just acts like he's healed. Believe that you have received it, and it will be given to you. And so he went through weeks and weeks. And then one day he woke up, boom, it was gone. Absolutely. I mean, this is something that's been hurting him for a while. And, and, and just totally given over to him. You know, we call out the things that are not as if they are. Let me give you the passage. Romans chapter 4, 17 and 18. Romans 4, 17 and 18. God, who gives life to the dead, calls into being that which does not exist in hope against hope he believed, in order that he might become the father of many nations. Don't you love this? Hope above the hopelessness. Going back to the Ezekiel passage, is that 10 minutes? Good luck. 10 minutes. This is verse 11. Then he said to me, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. He's basically, the Lord is telling Ezekiel exactly why he told this. He says, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. He's calling out hope above the hopelessness. Obviously, in this passage in Romans, he's talking about Abraham. God tells Abraham that he'd be a father of nations, yet Sarai is barren. But he hopes against the hopelessness. He speaks life to the death. Let me read you, again, Eugene Peterson's translation of the message. The same passage in Romans chapter 4. He says, We call Abraham father... Not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was nobody. Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many people. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life with the word, making something out of nothing. 
When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. You see that? God called Abraham a father before he was a father. He called out what did not exist, and he called it into being. He hoped above the hopelessness. I love that. I just want to read it again. This is so good. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. God made something out of every single one of us when we're nobodies. Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as father of many people. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God can do. Raise the dead to life with the word, make something out of nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. Deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Let me read that passage, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they'll be granted you. It's from death to destiny. That's what he's calling New Philly out for in this place. From death to destiny. In 2 Kings 4.18, there's the Shunammite. The Shunammite had a son. It was a son of promise from God. The gift, the promise, was dead. But the prophet was brought in. Verse 26 and 27, notice she only goes to the prophet the prophetic brings things to life. She goes, she doesn't go to the doctor, she doesn't go to her husband, she goes to the prophet because it's the prophetic that brings life here. And then next thing you know, Elisha, because he walked in double portion anointing, remember what he does? He gets down on his face, he lies down on the boy. And so this is what we need to do. We need to spend this time and we need to lie down on our hopes those very things that, that seem so hopeless, we need to go eye to eye, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, arm to arm against those things that we feel like that have died. Remember double portion? Elijah, when he raised the basalt, remember? Three times he did it. I want to tell you that Elisha, he did it one and a half times. That was truly a double portion that happened here in this place. He, pro- he prayed, he prophesied, He called out the things that are not as if that they are. Let's close our eyes right now. Let me ask you, this is quite serious right now. What has died inside of you? What are these hopes? You know, I I realize in 25 years of being a pastor... A lot of people, it's not a love problem. It's a hope problem. People love God. People respect God. But in Luke 24, 
You know when the guys are walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them? And they say something really interesting. He says, he says you know, Jesus, what are you guys talking about? He goes, have you not been around? Don't you know what's going on? That Jesus, who is mighty in word and deed, and favor with the people, and he says, but we were hoping it was he. The problem with most Christians today, not so necessarily that they don't love God, they don't respect God, but they lost hope. They were hoping it was he that was going to redeem Israel. You were hoping that God would give you a better job. You were hoping that God would answer your prayers. You were hoping that this prophetic word would happen by now. You were hoping that you would be married by now. You were hoping, and somewhere along the way, we lost that hope. I want us to do a prophetic act this morning. And if something has died inside of you, I just want you to lie down and just start prophesying over those things. You don't have to lie down on your face, okay? This carpet's dirty. You lie down on your back, which is a sign of surrender. You know, it's all over this place, as the Lord leads you. And I just want you just to prophesy over those things that have died. It's not buried. It's on the surface. And it's waiting for the man and woman of God, that's you, to speak life once again. And then the Lord wants to breathe. It's his ruach, the breath of God. It's the spirit of God. And he's the one that brings the life. He's the one that does all these things. Our job is to pray and prophesy. God's job is to do everything else.